All right. Um, I, uh, I, I saved this prayer for now so that everyone could hear it. Um, this is, uh, uh, well, yesterday was St. Nicholas Day. For those who were here, got a clementine and gold coins, chocolate gold coins. We didn't do the whole nine yards. Next year, wait for candy canes. It's going to get even better. No, I, I had them in a basket. No, yeah, no stinky socks or dirty shoes. Although that would have been more like, that would have been like more incarnational, I guess, right? Um, yes, anyway, so, and today actually, well, if you look in your hymnal, we have a, in the front part of the hymnal, we have all the listings of the, kind of the official feasts and then commemorations. Yesterday was a commemoration. Um, and today is Ambrose, St. Ambrose, hymn writer, pastor. He uh, was very influential in what we believe about the Bible. Anyways, but this prayer is, to Saint, uh, is uh, in recognition of St. Joseph. O God, from whom the family of your servant David raised up Joseph to be the guardian of your incarnate son and the spouse of his virgin mother, Give us grace to imitate his uprightness of life and his obedience to your commands through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, The reason why St. Joseph comes up is he's in the chapter. But uh, before we get to St. Joseph, turn to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles. I forgot to set them out. But last week, I think we talked about St. Luke, right? The, The... the kind of your typical nativity scene of the birth of Jesus. Now this one, this week we're going to look at St. Matthew, or I'm sorry, just the Gospel of Matthew, and his kind of retelling. And the narrative begins with a genealogy. And I have my cup of coffee here because genealogies are kind of boring. <laughs> right? Maybe you guys are into, maybe you guys are into genealogy. I am not. But you know, there, there's people who are. In fact, uh, uh, Carol Tony isn't here. Um, she could tell you there's people who show up to St. John asking about some long-lost relative. They've, mm-hmm. they've traveled to Chicago so that they can come and find baptismal records and birth, you know, confirmation records from family members. I'm not one of those people. Okay, see, now this is a good question. Now, um, if you don't mind me asking, why? I think we all kind of know, but why? I see. Excellent. Okay, so great. So you, you look at your genealogy to find out about who. Not necessarily about the people in the genealogy, but about who you are. Right. So, yeah, Jan. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're related to everybody. That would, we would be cousins then, Jan. Crazy. Um, yeah, right. So you get to find out about 
uh, more about the kind of family you're a part of, like Jan, or, you know, so. Um, and, you know, whether we are going to go through the effort of actually finding out about our, you know, our past, um, if information comes our way about who we are, we do find that interesting. I mean, there is actually television shows dedicated to this. Uh, in the past year, a couple years, I don't think it's a very popular show, but um, they will take like a Hollywood star and then they'll track their genealogy and, uh, you know, kind of Kevin Bacon is a famous one because Kevin Bacon is actually related to his wife, which is kinda, was kind of funny, but it was like, you know, long distant relatives or something like that. Um, do you know the Kevin Bacon, you know, six degrees? Ago. Okay, anyways, okay, so that was kind of funny. Um, and then uh, uh, a, a, a professor at Princeton, Henry Louis Gates, he also has this t a PBS television show. So if you're like me and watch PBS often, that's a very interesting show too. Um, so people, yeah, people like to do this, and they got to find out about themselves. Donna. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. And see, I'm sure that provided a little closure, right? I mean, like, yeah, it kind of tied up loose ends. Yeah, well, I, I think that's awesome. Exactly. Now, see, Every, we all have a family, right? In some families, you can, you know, your great-grandparents, you know, all that stuff. And so, you know, the genealogy aspect of your life is not as important because you have some history. Then there's other families who don't have that, and they want to know because that's part of, there's something inside them that uh, needs kind of a closure to it. And we all have that. So, I mean, that's, that's just normal uh, to, to varying degrees. So what scripture does here in Matthew chapter 1 provides that then for us, spiritually speaking, first applying it to Jesus. So the genealogy of Jesus is very important, not only for us, but obviously for these people who are, you know, living at the time of Jesus, knowing where Jesus came from. So the genealogy is just part of, uh, just part of what, who we are as people. We might not write down at home. We might not have a genealogy written down. But this is just who we are as people. And so God is communicating to us in a way that actually speaks to, on some level, to our desires of knowing who we are and what kind of family we're a part of. Now, if we take a look at this genealogy, we'll find out that the kind of family of who we are, I'm sure Jan found out, you know, hey, oh, man, I'm related to the, you know, I, you know, I, I have my, my mom's side of the family is uh, from Blair, Wisconsin, the Berg family. When my, uh, like my grandfather died, Holly was at, at the funeral, the church was standing room only. When, you know, if you grow up in a small town and someone dies, everybody shows up. So, which means everybody, the town drunk, you know, the mayor, and everybody in between. Exactly. So you find out who you're related to. Oh, I didn't know I was related to that person. I've seen that person many times. 
I'm a second cousin. Oh, man. Um, and Ali, I, 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 no, I don't know. Did we take a family picture at the funeral when you were there for Grandpa Berg? I don't think so. Grandma, Grandma Berg's funeral, which was in 1998 or seven, um, the, the whole family was there. And my mom's side has 14 brothers and sisters. So when standing room only, it was just my family. I mean, it was really only my mom's side of the family. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, okay, now the grandchildren. You know, we had the, 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 the kids, the grandchildren, and it just got this, and then the great-grandchildren. So, yeah, I was surprised to find out who I was related to. Wow. So this is what the genealogy provides in Matthew chapter 1. It, it provides uh, a wide, eyes wide open to our history, but realizes that the kind of history that Jesus is a part of is a redemptive history. It's not a perfect history. Okay? So, um, Kenneth Bailey points out some important things about the genealogy, and his main emphasis in chapter 2 is, is the women in the genealogy. And so, we're going to, if you want to, I'm just going to read it, for lack of a better way of going through it. Just uh, You might not, I, I, won't, I don't think I'll be able to pronounce all these names, but... If you don't know anything about Pastor Nelson, he, Jessica, you can ask your husband, Vicar, because uh, I'll try to start throwing out dogmatic terms that he's learning in seminary. He's like, do you mean, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I know what it means. I, I just have a tough time actually saying it. I always feel like that's better than knowing the term and not knowing what it means, but anyways. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Out of the first verse, we, it's, a, it's a very specific kind of genealogy. It doesn't start at Adam, but starts at Abraham. So it's the people of God, or the chosen ones. And in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the other way you could translate it is the Genesis. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Matthew is writing now a new world history, a new Genesis. Okay. That's kind of beside the point, but that's also very interesting. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, the 12 tribes, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Bam, first woman. Does anyone know the story of Tamar? It's an awful story, and I'm really surprised that you, this is not one you learn in Sunday school. <laughs> Tamar is the daughter or daughter-in-law of Judah, and Tamar's husbands have died. Actually, two of them. Well, yeah, two of them. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant by husbands. There's two of them, and as it goes back in those days, that if uh, if if uh, the, the one of the brothers dies and there's no heir, so before having a, a male heir, uh, another brother would take Tamar as the wife. So it's happened twice. Third time now, again, for, for all you're thinking about this, like, oh, man, if I had to marry my brother-in-law, this. <laughs> let's, let's kind of think, forget about that. Let's just put ourselves into this history. That's right. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, right. 
So anyways, now it's, uh, it's on the third, and Tamar uh, is expecting now a husband. And Judah, though, does not provide it. And so, that means she has nothing. She has no means of, of employment. She's, she's by herself, basically. Not a good position to be. But she's a crafty lady. And Judah goes on a little journey. Tamar pretends she is a prostitute on the side of the road. And, you know, she's very smart. Because Judah says, let's, you know, let's, let's do this. She does. But for payment, he's going to give her a goat. I, th- I didn't look this up. It's a goat or a, a, a lamb? It is a goat. Right? Which is kind of like, you guys are thinking that would be awesome. All right, goat. <laughs> Not money, a goat. <laughs> Anyways, he didn't have it. So he said, oh, I will provide it. Does he? Negatory. Well, it doesn't say. Find her. That's right. Thank you, Jan. That's right. Uh, they can't find her because she's back, back where by him. And when she becomes pregnant, Judah thinks this is scandalous. Let's stone her. And what little does Judah realize when they, in their adulterous situation, she gets a ring in a... In a um, yeah, to, 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 it's like the guarantee that he's going to pay for it. Collateral. Ring and sig- uh, signet. Yeah, his staff or whatever it is. I always think of the scepter of a king, but that's not what it is. It's a, it's a long straight pole thing. Um, so he's ready to stone her. She pulls it out. By the owner of this is who's the, you know, this is the son's father is the one who owns this. And he's like, ooh. And then he says, you're more righteous than I am. Okay. Great. That's part of Jesus' history. Again, this is a redemptive history, not a perfect history. That's why you don't know about that. So as you, as you learn about your genealogy, you never know what's going to happen. Right. So we don't know about that stuff in our own family. We don't talk about Uncle Louie. We just talk about everybody else. All right, so now let's, let's continue on and... Um, okay, wherever we... Oh, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashan and Nashan. The, I always put the wrong emphasis, or the, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Um, well, Rahab and Ruth now are, are the next two women. Rahab, everybody, does anyone know the story of Rahab? Save the two spies as they enter into the promised land, but what kind of woman is she? What is going on around here? Either a what? Yeah, a mother or a prostitute, or yeah, or widow. But that would be still related to the marriage. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, yes. So we got Rahab. Uh, she saved. Uh, she saved the two spies at Jericho. 
Israel comes in, walls come tumbling down, and everyone is annihilated except for Rahab and her family, whoever has her in her house. Um, and then Ruth, we all know the story of Ruth probably because that's one of the nice stories <laughs> that you do learn in Sunday school. But what's, what's, uh, what's special about Ruth? Uh, uh, in in kind of Rahab too maybe, but um, kind of, uh, not, uh, the pro- they're all Gentiles, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't know that Tamar was. Right. Tamar was probably Jewish. Probably. It, it, at that time, like the whole family of God was pretty small at that time because it was just, you know, Jacob and the 12 brothers. And... All right, so Rahab. And then we got to just kind of jump down. Well, we'll just keep going. It's not too far. Um, and, oh, okay, Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So we have the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Now what's interesting in the Kenneth Bailey is he really drives home, because I didn't know this about kind of ancient architecture, is how close... We all know the story of David looking down at Bathsheba bathing. And we think, you know, oh, he must have had his telescope, or he was, you know, he was kind of... He was, he was, yeah, he was, he was a, yeah, peeper, you know. Um, but what Kenneth Bailey brings out is that that's probably not the case. People who are just at Israel probably know the houses are a lot closer. And back in those days, the king's palace was above everybody, so he could see everything that's going on. And if you're going to bathe in front of a window, you kind of know what's happening. So what Kenneth Bailey uh, says is that Bathsheba is not an innocent dove in this situation. And that's why Matthew doesn't actually mention her by name. I found that, so interesting. that was very interesting. Um, what she, yeah, she, she was, you know, she knew what she was doing. That's, that's essentially what Kenneth Bailey was saying. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, she didn't have anything to do because her husband was off to war. So, so the whole point, though, is, is that the writer is not, he can't just deny that aspect because Solomon is very important. But he, so, and everybody knows the history, so he has to mention that. The whole point now is getting at is that this is a redemptive history. Now, the, all the men, I mean, the men aren't like innocent doves in this whole thing either. But the, the whole point is that w- this is a redemptive history, and it's all part of who Jesus is. And since we are grafted into this story through Jesus, we also, this is our history too. The history is full of men and women, sinners and saints, um, all kinds of, of uh, uh, people. And then in learning that, you, that can be a source of blessing, right? Because for whatever, whatever happens in your life, you can be included into this redemptive history also. And um, it also, it, 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 well, I think that's a blessing. I don't think there's really any curse in it. It's more of a blessing on multiple levels. First, your personal history, but also as you think about Uncle Louie. <laughs> and that... We as a family don't have to be ashamed of Uncle Louie, but realize that as part of this larger family, he also has a place in it too. 
So it's a, it's a redemptive aspect for him, too. And for better or for worse, you all have warts and bumps and things that are ashamed of in your own history. God doesn't say you should deny that or annihilate that part of your life, but that even that part can be brought into something that will work out for your salvation. So that's what's going on in the genealogy. It's not just some boring list of names. There's a story attached to each name. And the gospel writer, so this is not a literal genealogy. This, I mean, it, it, there's more people involved in the genealogy, but Matthew's telling a story through these people. If you want a more literal understanding, and when I say more literal, it's not, it's not actually completely literal, but the genealogies in the Old Testament, like Chronicles, the first like nine chapters of First Chronicles is all like, it's genealogy. And you're like, nobody knows who these people are anymore. But Matthew doesn't do that. He writes uh, people y'all know. I mean, I mean for the most part. And people that would share the people with major religions of the world. Well, yeah, Abraham all the way up through. Well, yeah, basically all the way up to. I mean, the Jews don't call Joseph and Mary, but all everybody else is all part of the story. Yeah. And yet, yet the major religions jump off at points that we don't jump off. That's, That's right. right. And it, right, and so it, with, this is interesting, Kirby, because um, a f- several years ago we went to the mosque, took some college kids to the mosque in Naperville, or the Muslim prayer center. I don't think they technically called it a mosque yet. Um, and the guy who gave a presentation was very adamant about how there's these connections between Christianity. He even said that, I believe in the Gospels. However... And, and the uh, Torah. But however, what we have has been corrupted. And it's not the true word. That's why Muhammad, the great prophet, and the Quran was introduced so that it could reform what had been corrupted. So, um, so you know, if you don't know your history, if you don't know these stories, this genealogy, you could say to yourself, huh, I didn't know that. I didn't know the Gospels are corrupted. And you're like, wait, you know. So you got to know your history. Oh, exactly. Exactly. We, oftentimes when we talk about Christianity as, as a faith, we think it's utterly unique. And there is in the point of, of Jesus, but everything else, there is there's these, not everything, but I mean, a lot of things. There's these connections with other faiths and um, not only in terms of Judaism and Islam but even in terms of of Greek uh, mystery religions the way we articulate things because for instance not to get too much on a tangent here but uh, the idea of a resurrection very common in first century Caesar was called the son of God I mean you have all these aspects of Christianity that we think are really unique, but in fact weren't. All right, you can think about that later. Let's, Jan. Right. Fathers, mothers, everybody, yeah. It makes complete sense. Oh, yeah, Solomon, right, of course. Yeah, right. That's right. 
Right. And, well, yeah, and the whole story attached to the, the how that all came about. Yeah, um, anyways, I, who knew that genealogies could be so interesting? <laughs> well, the next thing is uh, Joseph, and um, we read this actually the other night at uh, Tazay, but... Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, we, Okay, so we all know that, the rest of it. I'm not going to read all that. but Because um, the, the first First interesting thing is it's kind of how it's set up. First of all, uh, betrothed to Joseph, Joseph does, do we kind of know what that means, what it means to be betrothed? Yeah, well, how did it all start, though? Like, does Mary choose Joseph? Did Joseph... Yeah, it's arranged marriage. Okay, ding, 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 that's good. That's something to keep in the back of our mind here because um, I think we kind of gloss over that. And how that plays out then in the subsequent verses. Because Joseph, first of all, Joseph agrees to it, and Mary, I guess, has to agree to it because the parents are going to tell Mary what to do. That's right. He doesn't say it because he was madly in love with her. No. It's a small town, right? It's just, well, that's that. Yeah, we don't know. That's but yeah, that's kind of the speculation. Oops, uh, is that Joseph was older? Well, yeah, they're definitely not the same age. He, I mean, he has to have a like a a job, and yeah, right. And she's a a virgin. So she was young, teenager, marrying age at that time. So, yeah, I mean, whether, you know, Joseph was like a 40-year-old man and she was a 16-year-old, I mean, yeah, we don't know that, but um, he was older. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so that is important because um, what plays out then in terms of finding out that she has a child She goes to visit Elizabeth, which is not in Matthew, but we all know that. So she comes back, and lo and behold, what's going to be there? The baby bump. Okay, so it's not like Mary says, Joseph, the angel just talked to me, and I'm going to be pregnant. No, his first experience with this is the baby bump. He hasn't been with her. He hasn't been with her, period. What's going on? Okay. Just, you know, I mean, think about, I just, you know, we just got to take a step back and realize, ish, ish, that's, that's not easy. All right, being a just man, in, so uh, the, Kenneth Bailey brings out a point about what it means to be a just man. And just man is understood in terms of, um, not in terms of uh, fairness. You know, I pay taxes, so you pay taxes. Or in terms of, hey, you you punch me in the face, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know, there's not this uh, you know kind of revenge aspect to to being just justice. 
Uh, justice is understood in terms of, um, well, godliness, holiness, and forgiveness. That's kind of an easy way of understanding it. So rather, because, okay, so now we think about it. Okay, Tamar, this is the Tamar connection now. What was Judah going to do with Tamar? Stoner. Mm. What's going to happen to Mary now? She will be stoned. I mean, that, that's, that's, why, that's what's happening here. So Joseph, being a just man, rather than following the law of Moses and holding her accountable, decides to divorce her quietly. Which for all of us, we don't, we don't quite understand how much of a radical step that is in that society. Because, you know, that's just part of... Well, it, well, it, exactly. So, yeah, a small village. But the idea of being quietly could have uh, probably meant, why don't you go back to your aunt and uncle, Elizabeth, you know, whoever you did this with, and get married to that guy. So that's what it means to be to kind of divorce her quietly. Now, this is uh, actually... Kenneth Bailey was real helpful on this aspect, too. As he considered these things, the Greek word, I'd actually, you know, I didn't read it in the Greek, so um, <laughs> full confessions. And uh, so when Kenneth Bailey brought this out, uh, the word in, in Greek can actually be understood as kind of like uh, considering, is a, that's, that's, a, that's a literal way of translating, but understanding the circumstances, he's, he's kind of really wrestling with this. This is a, he's angry about it. He's really... Um, uh, Kenneth Bailey says, fuming over the whole thing. And, which is completely normal now, right? If we understood in terms of he's being betrothed, she goes away, see, sees her aunt and uncle or her family, Elizabeth, and comes back with the baby bump. Ugh. Yes, you can understand his wrestling and being angry about this. So Joseph, like the genealogy, appears to be completely... Normal. For all of us normal people, that, that's, that's, that's nice. He's not some strange super-Christian who goes through life not feeling normal things. You know, so I, that's good. Uh, okay, I'm not going to... Well, we've been on a tangent. Let's go on another one. So the, what that means then is that as, as you wrestle with your feelings as, as a person, sometimes we feel guilty about our feelings. Right? I mean, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be mad about this. Or I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't feel hostility towards this person. What we find out, though, is that... that ha- I mean, that happens in Scripture. That happens precisely in the birth of Jesus, which we would think is going to be this very kind of clean, christmas cardy kind of thing. But, but Joseph is angry. And the Bible doesn't overlook that. They actually talk about that. So the question is not so much how I feel, but what am I going to do about it? And we're going to take a look at a scene from the... the uh, uh, Vicar did this last week. Rightfully so, that was good. Um, we're gonna take a, well, I think we're only going to take a look at the one scene from uh, Joseph which is like this section about finding out about what happens about Mary. But Jan, you had a question. Right. Oh, exactly. I mean, this is not complete this is not what he signed up for. Um and that so, so that's something that we 
you know, as we read the Bible, I mean, so much of, I, I said this to confirmation the other night, um, the reason why a lot of people are, are disenchanted by the faith is they just don't know how to read the Bible. You, you, just, you have this, all these impressions and images in our mind, as, and as we read the Bible, we're really not reading what's on the page, we're reading what's in our minds. And so, yeah, so, I mean, as we, we kind of spend time reading the Bible a little more slowly and closely, um, we will... We'll see what all the kind of the richness and normalcy and the struggles. I have to wait and see if it actually. That that scene is a nice scene, but that just kind of shows how Joseph is a just man, but we're not going to do that one. Okay, um, We'll go widescreen. Oh, hang on before I'll set this up. Mary's returning back from Elizabeth. So we're going we're gonna to see uh, kind of, it, it does a good job. I mean, it's, it's fairly literal in that respect of uh, what the Bible says. And it, it does a good job of kind of portraying Joseph as a real person. So we'll take a look at it. And then I got, hopefully I got one more scene where Mary and Joseph are on the way traveling to Bethlehem. And they have a very interesting conversation, which obviously is not in the Bible. But it adds very normal. I, I like it. So, Yeah, right. So, you know, it's a great Christmas time movie, you know. All right. I, I, I like the dream interpretation. So Joseph uh, actually put himself in the place of what would actually happen, and, and the angel steps in there in the dream. So um, I think it does a great job of kind of just kind of portraying the, the real kind of wrestling with what is just. And because, um, you know, he mentioned how if I except this baby, I'll be breaking a law given by God. And so what we find out here in this, this Matthew chapter 1, what's going on is, you know, Joseph is saying that um, this, this is God's will, even though it appears to be in conflict with God's will. And this kind of radical... A submission to what's happening in one's life. Um, yeah, we, we don't have enough time, but if you guys, you should guys rent the movie and, and get the movie. I, I like it. Uh, it. You know, it's not perfect, but I, I think it's nice. Um, the uh, uh, the other aspect is is the uh, the traveling, and there's a great scene. Joseph is cooking a fish, you know, a fish, and um, Mary asks Joseph to tell her about the dream that we just watched. And he doesn't want to. And she says, you know, you know, please. And he does. And he just basically says, this is what the angel said. And he goes on to really reflect upon himself as a father and his insecurities. Will I be able to ever teach this child anything? You know, will I be, which, which is fundamentally, will I ever be a father to this, my son? And for a dad, you know, that's, that's a big deal. So I thought that was good, but <laughs> we don't have enough time to talk about it.
Anyways, um, next week is chapter three, right? Yes, the um, the wise men and yeah, the vision of Isaiah. Great. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you next week.